0: Everyone welcome to the Wellness Farm. This is your go-to podcast for all things wellness and mental health. I am your host Ari and I am a licensed pharmacist and functional nutrition counselor. So, I posted a video on TikTok about supplements that act as natural mood stabilizers that can be used when you're just not feeling like yourself. Maybe you get upset easily or sad easily or lash out a bit and just want some extra mood support. So these supplements do make you feel relaxed, level-headed, happy. You know, you adapt to stress a lot better. You're more resilient to stress. And I couldn't believe so many people didn't know about them until I posted that TikTok video. Now disclaimer, these supplements are not to be used if you have a diagnosed mood disorder, if you have diagnosed bipolar disorder, type one or type two, or if you take any other prescription medication in the antipsychotic or mood stabilizing drug class. And before you start supplements, please ask your doctor or a trusted healthcare professional if supplements are right for you because this is very general information and it's pretty much impossible to recommend something to someone without knowing their full medical, medication, and health history. Some of these supplements we're going to talk about right now include lithium orotate, which is not the prescription lithium, magnesium glycinate, magnesium L three N A, ashwagandha, holy basil, and you know I promised on my TikTok video I promised basically everyone who commented that I would do a bit of a deep dive about these supplements, like exactly how they work, how they should be taken, who shouldn't be taking them, and possible drug interactions. I know there is a ton of information about supplements on TikTok and Instagram and social media, And then we have like WebMD telling us we're all going to die. So I just want to make an episode for those of you who are confused and on a supplement journey. And you guys just want like straight up facts about each supplement. Before we go into the supplements, a lot of people were asking me, hey, do you take all of these supplements yourself? So I just want to answer that really quick. I take magnesium L3NA every day. You know know I'm always taking that Symbiotica Magnesium L3 and 8. Um, I take Magnesium Glycinate also at nighttime, but sometimes I forget. Um, And then I also do this thing where I take Magnesium Glycinate and Ashwagandha together because I have a supplement where they both come together in one capsule about three times a week. And I cycle that one. I don't take Holy Basil because I personally don't need it, but I do admire it because it is such an amazing adaptogen. And then I go through periods where I take lithium orotate and then I don't. So I guess like my hardcore go-to ones are definitely magnesium l 3 and magnesium glycinate. So let's talk about lithium. Lithium carbonate, which is the prescription used for bipolar disorder, and lithium orotate, which is the supplement and can be bought over the counter. And just remember, lithium carbonate is the prescription one. So think of it like you eat carbs after you pick up the prescription from the pharmacy. And then lithium orotate is the supplement. So think of that like, oh, I love my lithium supplement. (laughs) Oh my God, that was so weird. But that is what I used to do in pharmacy school when I had to learn like, 5,000 drugs, I would have to come up with these weird and funny ways to remember them. So hopefully that helps you too. Okay, here we go, lithium. How does lithium work? So prescription lithium, you will sometimes see as lithium carbonate, for example. It works very similar to lithium orotate, so I'm going to discuss in general how lithium works under one umbrella. The mechanism is that it modulates your neurotransmitter activity, such as serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. And then by regulating the levels of these neurotransmitters in the brain, lithium may help stabilize mood and reduce the symptoms of bipolar disorder. Lithium also inhibits an enzyme called inositol monophosphatase. And this is an enzyme that breaks down inositol phosphates And inosinol phosphates play a role in regulating the levels of several neurotransmitters, including serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine, which are all involved in the pathophysiology of bipolar disorder. And similar to lithium orotate, the supplement, Lithium carbonate, the prescription, has neuroprotective effects, so this means it can protect brain cells from damage or death because it is a great anti-inflammatory agent for the brain and it also increases the production of proteins that promote cell survival. But here's where we can see the differences between lithium carbonate and lithium orotate. So lithium carbonate, the prescription, is a salt made of lithium and carbonate molecules. And it's actually the most commonly prescribed form of lithium medication. And it's FDA approved for the treatment of bipolar disorder. So as you may know, it's a prescription medication. It's regulated by the FDA. Um, It's only available with a doctor's prescription and it has to be dispensed by a pharmacy. This is just because lithium carbonate has potential side effects and can be toxic at high doses. So it does require careful monitoring and dosage adjustments to ensure its safety and effectiveness. That is why actually a lot of people on the video were commenting and they were like, don't take lithium, you're gonna get kidney failure. That is because they were under the impression that lithium orotate, the supplement, has the same toxicity risk as lithium carbonate, which is not true. Now lithium carbonate, the prescription, does have a very narrow therapeutic range, meaning that the difference between a therapeutic dose and a toxic dose is relatively small. So we need to be very careful when dosing lithium in patients. Signs and symptoms of lithium toxicity can occur even when the medication is taken at therapeutic doses and the risk of toxicity increases with higher doses and longer durations of treatment. So some signs and symptoms of lithium toxicity include, you know, nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, tremors, slurred speech, confusion, muscle weakness, lack of coordination, drowsiness. Um, A telltale sign is blurred vision, seizures, and coma. In very severe cases, lithium toxicity can lead to kidney failure, brain damage, and even death. So it's very important to monitor blood levels of lithium regularly when you're taking the prescription medication to ensure that the medication is being taken at a safe and effective dose. But these signs of toxicities are not a concern with lithium orotate, which is the supplement. So lithium orotate is a supplement It's not FDA approved because no supplement is FDA approved and it's not approved for the treatment of any medical condition because no supplements are. But it does show a lot of promise in elevating mood, supporting a healthy brain, and overall just lowering inflammation in the brain. And it doesn't come with a toxicity risk, it isn't dosed super carefully, and it doesn't have the same side effect profile as lithium carbonate. Now let's discuss dosing for both lithium carbonate and lithium orotate. The dose of lithium carbonate, which is the prescription for bipolar disorder, varies, and it really just depends on the individual's symptoms and their response to treatment. So the starting dose is typically low and is gradually increased over time until a therapeutic dose is reached. The therapeutic range for lithium carbonate is generally considered to be between 0.6 and 1.2 milliequivalents per liter, although this may vary depending on the individual. Lithium orotate, the supplement, doesn't have a standard dose but typically 5 milligrams a day is used and this dose is completely safe for the average healthy person. Sometimes you might see people saying 10 milligrams a day is good but I don't know I don't I don't see the need for that. I think 5 milligrams a day is enough to see a benefit and in my experience it definitely works to regulate your mood and make you less reactive. I also want to quickly discuss how lithium orotate supplements have a great anti inflammatory effect. Like, I am so obsessed with just this aspect about lithium orotate supplements by itself because I feel like it is so good for your brain because it is so anti inflammatory. So, lithium has been shown to affect the function of immune cells, including T cells and natural killer cells. It may help to regulate the immune response and reduce inflammation so it does this in two different ways the first one being it inhibits inflammatory pathways so lithium has been shown to inhibit the activation of different pro-inflammatory signaling pathways like MAPK pathways and NF-kappa B pathways and then the second way it causes an anti-inflammatory effect is through its antioxidant effects so lithium has been shown to have antioxidant properties which may help to reduce oxidative stress and inflammation. Now I know that like the the term anti-inflammatory is thrown around a lot, especially in the wellness community, but there are really great implications for the anti-inflammatory effects of lithium orotate. The first one being it can be used in neurodegenerative diseases. So lithium orotate has been studied for its potential neuroprotective effects in different neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. And some of these studies have suggested that lithium orotate may have anti-inflammatory effects that could be beneficial for those conditions. The second way it can help is with mood disorders, like what this podcast is about, right? Um, The exact mechanism isn't fully understood, but It's believed that lithium orotate may have anti-inflammatory effects that can be beneficial for these conditions. And then the third and last one that I can think of is for autoimmune diseases, right? Lithium orotate has been studied for its potential use in autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus, and some studies have suggested that lithium orotate supplementation may have anti-inflammatory effects that can help reduce the symptoms of these conditions. So obviously, lithium orotate sounds like such a great supplement to take, right? So who shouldn't be taking it? Lithium Orotate is definitely not a suitable supplement for everyone. So here are some groups of people who should definitely avoid or use caution when taking Lithium Orotate. The first one being pregnant or breastfeeding women. That's just because the safety of Lithium Orotate during pregnancy and breastfeeding hasn't been established. And so we, we genuinely like don't know if it's okay for pregnant women to take this. The second one being in children. We don't know how it works in children just yet. The third one being for people with kidney problems. This is because lithium is primarily eliminated from the body through the kidneys. So individuals with impaired kidney function might be at an increased risk of lithium toxicity when taking lithium orotate. The fourth group is people taking other medications. So lithium orotate does have drug interactions. Honestly, a lot of supplements do. So like that's another thing. Please ask a pharmacist or a healthcare professional before using supplements because just because they're supplements and sometimes they're seen as natural or more safe than prescription medication, it doesn't necessarily mean that You can just take it and nothing will happen to you because there are a lot of drug interactions out there. No one listens to me. There are, so please check. But lithium orotate can interact with other medications. So diuretics, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, so that's like Advil, Motrin, and anticonvulsants. So it's very important to, you know, consult with a healthcare professional before you take it. And then the last group is people with a history of thyroid disease. So, lithium can affect thyroid function and it may exacerbate pre existing thyroid conditions. So individuals who do have a history of thyroid diseases should use caution when taking lithium orotate. As always in the show notes, I'll provide links to different supplements if you want to further check it out. So I will definitely link lithium orotate in the show notes um, just if you want to read about it more and check it out. Up next, we have magnesium l three nate Magnesium in general is an essential mineral that plays a key role in so many functions of the body, including nerve transmission, muscle function, and energy production. Now let's talk about magnesium L3 and 8 specifically. Honestly, this is such a cool form of magnesium. I love magnesium L3 and 8 because it has two very unique advantages. Number one, it doesn't make you tired. So you can take it during the daytime and still feel emotionally and mentally balanced, which are common effects people are looking for with a magnesium supplement. But oftentimes people, can't really you know, take it during the daytime because magnesium supplements tend to make you feel very tired, very relaxed, and um, that's why magnesium L3 and A is so special. You can take it during the day, you get the great benefits of it, but it doesn't make you tired. And number two, this is the only form of magnesium that can both cross the blood-brain barrier and have a high bioavailability. Bioavailability meaning like your body can absorb it very well and use it very well. So a super common misconception people have is that magnesium L3NA is the only type of magnesium that can cross the blood-brain barrier. And honestly, I thought that for a while too. I was walking around like, oh, magnesium althreonate is the only one that can cross a blood-brain barrier. That's actually not true. So, um, it's not the only form of magnesium that can cross the blood-brain barrier. In fact, most forms of magnesium can cross the blood-brain barrier to some extent, but, you know, some forms are more effective than others. So, magnesium l 3 has been shown to have a high bioavailability and is thought to be more effective at crossing the blood-brain barrier than other forms of magnesium, such as, you know, magnesium citrate or magnesium oxide. And this is because magnesium l 3 8 contains l 3 8 And l 3 8 is a small molecule that can easily penetrate cell membranes, allowing it to pass through the blood-brain barrier and reach the brain effectively. And because of this, because it is so bioavailable and because it can easily penetrate cell membranes. Magnesium L3NA is thought to work by increasing magnesium levels in the brain, which may improve cognitive function and enhance brain health. So that's why it is such an amazing form of, of magnesium, because this can actually really help people who have anxiety, mild depression, trouble concentrating, just kind of having brain fog all day. Because l 3 is so good at increasing magnesium levels in the brain. And then once it is in the brain, magnesium L3 n 8 may help to support healthy brain function by regulating synaptic plasticity, neuronal signaling, and neuroinflammation. Now, a lot of people ask me how they can take magnesium L3 n 8. This can be taken in capsule form or in liquid form. You guys know I'm all about that symbiotica, magnesium L3 n 8. Um, I will link that in the show notes and you can also get a discount with my link and my code if you wish to try it out. So if you want to check it out, read more about it, see what all the hype is about, then just click the link in the show notes. Now, Magnesium l 3 is generally considered safe for most people when taken at recommended doses. But there are some groups of people who need to use caution or just avoid magnesium l 3 na altogether. So um, the first group being people with kidney problems, and that's because magnesium is primarily eliminated from the body through your kidneys. So individuals with impaired kidney function might be at an increased risk of magnesium toxicity when taking magnesium L3 and 8 the second group is people taking certain medications so um, magnesium L3 and 8 can interact with certain medications it can interact with some antibiotics blood pressure medications and muscle relaxants so that's why it's important to just you know ask a pharmacist ask your doctor before using that supplement magnesium can actually worsen symptoms of myasthenia gravis and This is a neuromuscular disorder. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong. So if you do have this neuromuscular disorder, you know, be sure to avoid magnesium L3 and 8. Other supplements and medications it can interact with are like calcium supplements. So calcium supplements might interfere with how magnesium is absorbed. So just make sure that you're taking your calcium supplement at a different time than magnesium L3 and 8. And I know I mentioned antibiotics before, and it's not that like you can't take magnesium at all if you're on antibiotics, but just make sure that you space it out by at least two hours. So that's generally the rule. You know, lots of great information about magnesium L3 and a. I'm a huge fan of it, but I do want to get into magnesium glycinate now. So magnesium glycinate is very similar to magnesium L3 and 8. Um, magnesium glycinate works by increasing the amount of magnesium in the body which, as you know, is important for many bodily processes. Magnesium glycinate is a dietary supplement. It combines magnesium with the amino acid glycine, and this is commonly used to help promote sleep, calmness, and relaxation. It can make you feel really calm and relaxed because of something called GABA. So GABA is your inhibitory neurotransmitter, and it plays a vital role in regulating brain activity and promoting relaxation and calmness. And guess what? Magnesium is essential for GABA receptor function and the synthesis and release of GABA in the brain. Magnesium deficiency can impair GABAergic signaling and contribute to anxiety, insomnia, and other neurological disorders. Glycine, the amino acid in magnesium glycinate that I just mentioned, is also involved in GABA synthesis and has been shown to enhance GABAergic neurotransmission in animal studies. And In addition, glycine can bind to and activate glycine receptors in the brain, which can enhance the effects of GABA and promote relaxation. So as you can see, the mechanism of action really has to do with GABA, promoting relaxation, and promoting the release of GABA in the brain. So it's so helpful with relaxation and just overall anxiety control and relief. So magnesium glycinate can be taken orally as a capsule or tablet with or without food. So you don't have to take it with food. If it irritates your stomach, then it's probably best to take it with food. But if you don't wanna take it with food, that's completely fine. The recommended daily dose is typically between 200 to 400 milligrams a day. I, I honestly wouldn't recommend going over 400 milligrams a day just because that is, the upper limit of the daily dose, and if you exceed that, you'll probably end up getting pretty bad diarrhea. Um, So just try to stay in that range, but the optimal dose really just depends on your age, your health status, and so many other factors. Um, so like I said, ask your doctor before using supplements, <laughs> but um, 350 milligrams I think is usually the sweet spot. So um, who shouldn't be taking magnesium glycinate supplements? Very similar to magnesium l 3 you know, people with kidney disease, GI disorders, Um, If you're taking antibiotics, space it out by two hours. If you're taking diuretics, if you're taking antacids, don't take magnesium glycinate supplements. And then um, also pregnant and breastfeeding women should avoid taking magnesium glycinate without medical supervision. So please ask your OBGYN or your primary care provider. Now, magnesium glycinate can interact with some medications and supplements just like magnesium L3 and 8 could. So that does include the calcium supplement you know space it out vitamin D some antibiotics Um, but like I said very similar to magnesium L3 and 8 I just wanted to go over glycinate because it works a little bit differently and it does produce more of a relaxation effect it does make you relaxed makes you feel very calm you know a little bit tired and I think that can really benefit people who have mood related issues um, just because when you do have that mood-related issue, you feel angry, or you feel very depressed, or you feel very sad, um, or you might lash out at someone, right? So having that effect on yourself, having that like that, having that relaxation effect having that anxiolytic effect can be very helpful. Feeling a little bit tired when you're dealing with any mood-related issue can actually be a huge benefit. It can be a huge plus, and that's why um, you might notice that maybe a family member or someone you know who has anxiety, they get prescribed hydroxyzine, and hydroxyzine is also used for allergies or even skin rashes. But basically hydroxyzine, the way it works is that it makes you freaking tired. It makes you so tired, but it's like to a point where it makes you feel like tired and kind of numb. So you don't feel anxious and it helps you sleep. So that's a prescription medication, but I just want to kind of draw that that example, that parallel, because oftentimes it's very common for both in the natural herbal world and the supplement world and in the prescription medication world to give people who have any mood-related issue or anxiety-related issue a compound that causes them to feel very relaxed and tired because it does help. So in summary, to close out the magnesiums, Magnesium L-threonate 3 and magnesium glycinate are two different forms of magnesium supplements with unique properties and potential health benefits. So magnesium L-threonate may be more beneficial for cognitive function and brain health, that doesn't make you feel tired, while magnesium glycinate may be more beneficial for relaxation, anxiety, and sleep quality. Now, moving on to the adaptogens, which are the very last of our mood-stabilizing supplements. Ashwagandha. Oh man, I love me some ashwagandha. I was actually in a BuzzFeed Health article about ashwagandha. You guys should read it. It's about the show Euphoria and how Nate was using ashwagandha to numb his emotions. So they were asking me like, is it true? Does ashwagandha really numb your emotions? And I have so many TikTok videos about that. Um, (laughs) So if you are interested, go check out my TikTok page. It's... At the wellness farm and I will link that in the show notes but um it can you know but and I give an explanation in the tiktok video um and by the way I'm really sorry if I pronounce ashwagandha wrong I have watched so many videos trying to find out the proper pronunciation but I really couldn't find any that had the same pronunciation. Like everyone was giving me a different pronunciation. So I do apologize in advance if I do pronounce ashwagandha wrong. So ashwagandha is an herb and it's been used in traditional ayurvedic medicine for centuries, for a long time, to promote general health and well-being. It is also known as Indian ginseng or winter cherry. Now the active compounds in ashwagandha are Withinolides, which have been shown to have adaptogenic, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and neuroprotective properties. And ashwagandha has been studied for its potential effects on mood regulation and stress management. The mechanism of action of ashwagandha is not fully understood, but it is believed to involve its ability to modulate the hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis, and regulate the levels of stress hormones like cortisol in the body. Ashwagandha may also enhance GABAergic neurotransmission and promote the production of brain-derived nootrophic factor, BDNF, which is a protein that supports the growth and survival of neurons. We talk about BDNF a lot on this podcast because... How do I even explain it? BDNF is the daddy. It is daddy of all proteins. Okay. So if there are ways we can increase BDNF, we freaking do it. No excuses. Because like I said, BDNF is a protein that supports the growth and survival of neurons. And this is so important for just our cognitive ability, for learning new things, for being able to interact with external stimuli, like it is just so important to have ample amounts of BDNF. It also helps promote better mood. Um, People who have anxiety and depression and mood-related disorders tend to have lower amounts of BDNF. So I always encourage everyone, even people who aren't depressed, go do something that increases BDNF. Go exercise, go on a run. Go do ketamine therapy if you're eligible, you know, like BDNF is an amazing, amazing thing and we definitely could use as much of it as we could possibly get. So um, anyway, ashwagandha may help regulate mood and stabilize mood by reducing stress and anxiety, improving sleep quality and enhancing cognitive function. It might also support the production of serotonin and dopamine, which, like I said, are neurotransmitters that are involved in mood regulation and reward pathways in the brain. Now, ashwagandha can be taken orally as a capsule, a tablet, a powder, an extract. I see a lot of ashwagandha teas, and the optimal dosage does vary just depending on the individual, But the typical recommended dose ranges from 300 to 600 milligrams a day. And it's usually taken in divided doses. So like the supplement that I use, it has magnesium, ashwagandha, and L-theanine in one capsule. And I think... Oh, I have it right here. Hold on. I think it is actually 600 milligrams. Yeah, so I, I take a serving size of three capsules and... um. It's a total daily dose of 600 milligrams of ashwagandha. So, people with certain medical conditions like autoimmune diseases, thyroid disorders, and gastrointestinal disorders should not use ashwagandha. Also, if you're taking certain medications like immunosuppressants, thyroid hormones, and sedatives, you guys should not be taking ashwagandha. Um, if you absolutely need to, then please ask your doctor because it's generally, you know, a good idea to not take it if you're using those medications. And then, pregnant and breastfeeding women should avoid taking ashwagandha because. It's dangerous. It it can cause some issues if you're pregnant. So yeah, in summary, ashwagandha is an amazing adaptogenic herb. It's anti-inflammatory, it has antioxidant properties, neuroprotective properties, and it can help regulate mood and stabilize your mood by reducing stress and anxiety improving sleep quality, and enhancing cognitive function. Lastly, let's talk about another adaptogen that I feel like doesn't get enough attention because the spotlight is constantly on ashwagandha, but let's talk about holy basil for a second. Holy basil is also known as tulsi, and it's an herb that has been used in traditional ayurvedic medicine for thousands of years to promote health and well-being. And it's considered an adaptogen, meaning it can help the body adapt to stress and, and maintain balance, just like ashwagandha, right? So um, it's different from ashwagandha because the active compounds in holy basil include eugenol, rosmarinic acid, and ursolic acid, which have been shown to have antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and neuroprotective properties. Holy basil has also been studied for its potential effects on mood regulation and stress management. It has the same mechanism of action as ashwagandha, so I don't want to repeat the mechanism of how it improves your mood, but I do want to talk about how holy basil and ashwagandha differ from one another because they're both adaptogens, so I feel like some people might get confused on what the, what the difference really is, like, sh- when do I know I should be taking ashwagandha? When do I know I should be taking holy basil? So they're both adaptogens, but they have different chemical compounds. In holy basil, like I said, there's eugenol, rosmarinic acid, and ursolic acid, which have been shown to have stimulating effects on the brain and nervous system. That's why holy basil has been traditionally used to promote energy and wakefulness. It's also really great at improving cognitive function, reducing mental and physical fatigue, and enhancing physical performance. So it doesn't just act as an adaptogen and help your body respond to stress more efficiently, but it actually makes you feel awake and energetic. And that's why I like to recommend it to a lot of the clients I see on a one-on-one basis since they'll be working or they'll be going to school, taking classes or whatever, and they need something for energy, but they don't want the jitters, but they also don't want to be stressed out and they want to feel less anxiety. (laughs) So interesting combo. It's like best of both worlds, right? So I recommend Holy Basil. As far as interactions go, people with certain medical conditions like diabetes, hypoglycemia, bleeding disorders, shouldn't take holy basil. Also, if you take certain medications like anticoagulants or antiplatelet drugs, um, you guys should not be using holy basil, especially without consulting a healthcare provider first. And then again, pregnant or breastfeeding women should avoid taking holy basil without medical supervision. But overall, I love both ashwagandha and holy basil. I was using holy basil for a little bit. I think like like last year I was doing holy basil, but then um, since I got this new supplement that has the magnesium and ashwagandha and L-theanine in one capsule, I've been an ashwagandha girly. I am definitely an ashwagandha girl. I love it, it makes me feel very calm. Like something terrible could happen. I just don't even, not that I don't care, but I, I don't get... Stress or anxiety over it, I just deal with it. And yeah, maybe I am a little bit more mature now, but I feel like Ashwagandha has definitely helped me with reducing my stress levels and keeping me in control of my emotions. So I hope you guys loved this podcast episode. I get so excited when Tuesdays come around because recording these podcasts are just so fun for me. So if you do like this episode, take a picture of whatever you're doing while listening and tag me. My Instagram is at wellness.farm and TikTok is at the wellness farm. So I will definitely link both of my social accounts in the show notes. And then also please be sure to leave a rating and a review. This pushes my podcast out to people who are interested in learning more about wellness and health and haven't yet discovered my little baby podcast. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you. Make this Tuesday your absolute best You can do it. You're limitless. And if you have podcast episode topic requests, send me a message on Instagram or TikTok. I'm totally open to hearing what you guys want to listen to because I love to just make episodes that serve you, that you can learn from. And yeah, so uh, message me on Instagram or TikTok. Until then, I will talk to you next Tuesday.